This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Good morning. It's Thursday, November the 10th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown coming to you on AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on this abbreviated version of the show, Sean Priest of Double Tap Canada will share his experience with WhatsApp for Windows. And powerlifter Jose Sege from Sudbury, Ontario is set to represent Canada at the Special Olympic World Games in 2023. Karen McGee will lift off with that story. So just a uh, note here. You may notice that the show is starting a teensy bit late today. And by teensy, I mean an hour. Had a couple technical difficulties around uh, the broadcast equipment. Want to give a huge huge shout out to the crew on site and working remotely to get us back online our captioners the folks at chorus bruce and dan and kingsley and eliza kyle and paula and ray and leanne kevin so many folks working around here to get us back online so an abbreviated show today we're gonna jam as much as we can into one hour of the program so let's begin with our top story of the day the remnants of Hurricane Nicole is expected to hit the Atlantic provinces this weekend. Rob Westgate has more. Environment Canada says the storm will be coming up the eastern seaboard of the United States and will bring heavy rain to New Brunswick and major wind gusts to Nova Scotia. Meteorologist Bob Robichaud says Nicole will be closely followed by a winter storm system with Newfoundland and Labrador likely to see freezing rain or snow Saturday night into Sunday morning. The freezing rain and snow may also affect the northeastern region of Quebec. Rob Westgate, the Canadian Press, Digby, Nova Scotia. What was Hurricane Nicole did make landfall in Florida overnight on the east coast, on the Atlantic coast, and it has brought us some significant rainfall to the area and some beach erosion as well in the central Atlantic coast of Florida. So it's going to be making its way up the coast over the course of the next 24 to 48 hours. Let's get to some stories from the climate summit in Egypt. Climate advocates at the UN summit have called for no new fossil fuel projects in Africa. Charles de Ledesma has the story. Climate activist and UNICEF goodwill ambassador Vanessa Nakete has warned against such projects on the African continent. To those who have come to COP27 with the intention of promoting new fossil fuels, I say, no, we will not let you gas Africa. Gas is a dangerous distraction for Africa. Nakati fears any new fossil fuel projects would soon become stranded assets, which would leave African countries with debt piled upon debt. The oil and gas they dig up will be shipped straight back to countries in the global north and the profits in the pockets of the multinational oil and gas companies. Other young activists have expressed concern for their future and say those responsible for climate change aren't doing enough to help. I'm Charles Duladesma. And one more strain to pull out from the COP27 conference. U.S. climate envoy John Kerry put forward a plan that leverages private sector investments to build clean energy projects in developing countries. Our intention is to put the carbon market to work, to deploy capital, otherwise undeployable, to speed the transition from dirty to clean power, specifically for two purposes, to retire unabated coal-fired power and to accelerate the build-out of renewables. Let's come back to Canada and get to the Emergencies Act inquiry. The mayor of Coots, Alberta, spoke yesterday. Jim Willett described his early interactions with police a few days before the border blockade started. Saying uh, to the effect that I had uh, woken everybody up around there, that they had been in contact then with the police of all flavors, and uh, RCMP's on top of it, and uh, we've got it under control, basically. The convoy of trucks appeared at the border in Coots two days later. Miller 
Mayor Willett says the RCMP did not establish a large police presence until three days later. He also reflected on a text exchange she had with several ministers and media members about why protesters were not being called domestic terrorists. When I look for the definition of uh, a domestic terrorist, these people seem to fit that bill, and yet no one ever labeled them that. So I just floated the idea out there, one side to Bill, on the other side to uh, Minister Sani, that maybe they should be called that to get a little more attention. We'll revisit the Emergencies Act in just a couple of minutes in our daily poll. But just before we do that, I'm going to reflect on a story that was part of yesterday's daily poll. We're talking about the provinces asking the federal government for more funding for health care dollars. Well, Quebec found themselves in the crosshairs yesterday. Quebec Finance Minister Eric Girard is defending his government's decision to send one-time cash payments of $600 to most Quebecers while it demands more money from Ottawa for health care. Girard says the payments cannot be compared to the stable long-term funding needed for health care. We're talking of the most important budgetary item of the Quebec government for the next 50 years. And you're comparing this to a one-time payment in December 2022. And I'm very much inclined to agree with Minister Girard. You can't just start pointing to other dollars and saying, oh, no, well, you should have put this money towards that. In the conversation we had yesterday about provinces wanting more money for health care, yes, stable funding is way more important than a couple of checks going out. There's no doubt about that. Let's get to our daily polls at AMI Audio. Got to clear my throat because I said AMI Audio instead of at Accessible Media. At Accessible Media is where you find us on Twitter. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. On Wednesday, we asked you, the provinces are asking the federal government to increase the amount of money they receive for health care. If provinces want more money for health care spending, should they just raise their taxes? Turns out 71% of you do not like that idea. You said no, and 29% of you said yes. I wonder how much of that is just an opposition to raising taxes as opposed to grappling with the issue in good faith. Some folks, they hear raising taxes and they get real cranky real quick. Today's daily poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. What is your level of interest in the Emergencies Act inquiry? Very, somewhat, or not at all? I played you that sound from the mayor of Coots earlier in this segment. I've got to say, I think it's about time to get down to business with the Emergencies Act. We've spoken to a million police officers and the Ontario Deputy Solicitor General and the Ottawa Police and the RCMP and the OPP and the protest organizers and people and mayors of of Windsor and Coots. Okay, guys. We've now established what it was. It's been four weeks. There's two weeks left of this inquiry. Can we please get the federal ministers on the stand already? Can we please get down to business? We know, we understand, we remember. You don't need a history lesson on the convoy protests. It happened nine months ago. This isn't three centuries worth of history. We understand. You've set the scene. We've spoken to some characters. Let's get the ministers on the stand and get down to business. We need to know who ordered the code red. Who asked for this and how was that decision made? That's the entire reason why we're doing this. Not what we should be calling protesters or what the mayor of Windsor thought about bouncy castles or text exchange about, uh, well, I can't even use some of the language that one of the OPP officers was asked about. There was a reference to the uh, backside of uh, your body and things that would be thorny. Let's get down to business. We know, we understand. So I'm still very interested, but there's two weeks left. Let's get down to the meat of the matter. Alex Smith, what about you? Yeah, Dave, I think you and I kind of shared the similar view that nothing really has been surprising. And it's like everything that we've learned so far or heard, it's pretty much what we expected, what we already kind of knew. It's you want to get to that 
meat and bones as you're talking about. It's like, who ordered the code red? Who was the one who was actually pushing for the Emergencies Act? How did that come about? That's what we want to know. We haven't got there yet. So right now, I, I would say I'm somewhere between somewhat and very interested. I'm very interested to know that. But I also so far have not learned anything really new other than, you know, some name calling and, and internal strife between the different uh, levels of government, which, I mean, you could already have assumed based on what the response was, how long it took to actually come up with a, a coherent plan and strategy to deal with these protests. So I'm on the fence because the longer this drags on and the more that we kind of get more of the same perspective from people that we expect, I, I, you start to lose interest in it, which is very bad because this is such an important inquiry to have. So, yeah. you know, it's can, I, I agree with you. Let's move on. Let's get the federal government. Maybe some of the the uh, the head uh, provincial uh, representatives. But let's get to the real heart of this issue. Yeah, we need the decision makers on the stand now. Now it's time to get the decision makers getting their test testimony. And Eliza Rocco, you have the misfortune of literally sitting next to me every day as I'm <laughs> as I'm foisting the sound upon you and making you play it. So, what's your level of interest? Um. Well, at the beginning, I I was I was pretty interested. I'd probably be in the very interested category. But like you said, it, it's been going on for a long time now. I am actually finding um, a lot of the testimonies and the contrasting of the testimonies very interesting. There's a lot of perspectives I just didn't think of and uh, didn't. Uh, it, it it was it was interesting for sure. But yeah, now it's it's gotten to a point where okay, we've heard this from three other people now. Like let's let's keep this moving and mm -hmm. uh, slowing down. My interest is waning, but um, I'm hoping in the next week or so, yeah. then it will pick up a little bit, and I'll go back into that very interested category. Get Bill Blair, get Marco Mendicino, get Chris Freeland, get Justin just, Justin Trudeau, get these mm -hmm. folks on the stand and get them talking, because that's at, that's what's at issue here, and we want to make sure there's lots of time talking to those folks. Absolutely. Eliza, thank you oh, for this. Dave, actually, we actually have some breaking news. Oh, boy. It is a certain someone's birthday today, and we have a message from a, to share from a special someone and a very furry friend. Hi, Dave. Happy birthday. I love you. See you soon. Cody, you want to say goodbye? Bye-bye. Bye-bye, <laughs> Dave. Oh, my gosh. That was my niece, Aura, and her dog, Coda. Oh my the goodness. Cutest happy birthday ever. And a huge, huge happy birthday as well from myself, Alex, Bruce, Dan, Kingsley, Andrika, Mike, everyone on the team. Everyone was involved with this, and we just wanted to give a very big happy birthday. Oh my to you, gosh, Dave. that's so sweet of you guys. <laughs> I, I want to know which one of you has access to my sister. I'm very, I'm very we concerned about this we now. Can't I, share our people secrets. are going to be gossiping about me now behind my back to my family. You're going to tell everybody what a terrible person I am to no. work with. Uh, Eliza, that's super kind of you. Thank you. And I can't wait to get to spend some time with my niece, Aura. Happy birthday. And my, and my new dog friend, Coda, coming up around the holiday season. Thank you guys. That's very, very kind of you. Let's bring in, oh, just a reminder, you can vote on the poll at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. Let's bring in Brock Richardson for a sports chat. So, Brock, let's start in the world of Parasport. You've got an update on a couple of different events going on. Yes, I do. Uh, I second and third and fourth the happy birthday. Happy birthday. I hope you have a wonderful day. Oh, anyway, thanks, Brock. Um, the Canadian women are in the midst of the uh, Final Four at the sitting volleyball tournament. They are going to be taking on Slovakia at 3.30 p.m. Eastern. You can um, go to the live stream at World Para Volley on Twitter. Again, I repeat that, World Para Volley on Twitter. That's the only place you can stream it. And then the men have been... Had a bit of a rough event. They're part of the 9 through 16 uh, part of the tournament, so they did not make the uh, quarterfinals. They've beaten uh, Iraq, and they've beaten Poland in this uh, part of the tournament. So they will be sort of mid-ground of this 9 through 16 event. 
And then the third, the second para sports event that I want to highlight is that the seniors women, the senior women's wheelchair basketball program is in the midst of a four game series against the Netherlands. They won the first game 75, 73. Unfortunately, there is no stream for this. You can only get the information on wheelchair basketball, Canada on Facebook. So those are some events happening right now in the, world of parasports brock when you were doing the high level bocce would you guys ever do a little series like that would you ever do like four game tournaments or four game uh, series with other countries I, it would be more of like we would set up uh training camps so we would go uh, in wherever we were going and we would kind of mix our training days with other countries countries of course that we were not playing in any of the pool games coming up in any of the international uh, tournaments that we were there for but that we would have a couple of uh, series of games just as warm-up for both countries to get them tuned up but no series like this where you would solely go just just for the series and i and i do believe this is a bit of a warm-up for the upcoming uh world championships for both uh countries in brock, this case brock let's move over to the uh world of hockey the nhl i got an early birthday present last night as i was having some wings and beer at my favorite bar the montreal canadians absolutely crushed the vancouver canucks five to two absolutely crushed them they looked very very good last night um you know they they were just on top of everything uh vancouver looked like uh the sloppy team that we've seen more often than not the Montreal was just hungry for the puck uh it was it was really good to see even though um they're not my personal rooting interest necessarily I do enjoy watching uh Montreal uh when they play like this because it's good for the game when all their young guys can put together a uh, a good uh a good game so it's it's good news there wasn't all good news though in in uh, Montreal Canadiens land, Uri Slavkowski, the number one overall pick, uh, was suspended for uh, two games on that hit from Matt Luff. It was sort of a hit from behind oh, yeah. Uh, in, oh, yeah. into the bench. It was it was not a nice hit. Uh, this is a suspension that I believe wholeheartedly was uh, warranted. I think um, you know he. I don't think he intended to do this. I think it was, you know. Uh, not meant to be as big of a hit as it was, but sometimes when you make those big hits unintentionally, you do have to pay the consequences of that. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah. It's it's the kind of hit that they're trying to get out of the game. That kind of hitting from behind into the boards is just dangerous and it's unnecessary. I think the two games was totally, totally a reasonable suspension. I didn't like the hit at all. Here's the one caveat that I'll throw up, though, and I hope, I hope that people don't think of this as a whataboutism. Exactly one week ago, Marco Rossi of the Minnesota Wild did the exact same thing to Yuri Slavkovsky. Hit him from behind, into the bench. The difference was Slavkovsky didn't end up uh, with suffering a major injury. The Detroit player is going to be out allegedly for six to eight weeks after that hit from behind. So the one thing that I would say is a point of maybe empathy or understanding for Yuri Slavkovsky is, okay, a week ago somebody did this to me. Why can't I do it? So he's going to be learning what is and isn't acceptable in the NHL. But this always comes back to this thing that we talk about in hockey. It's subjective. It moves fast. It's weird. But there needs to be a little more consistency in the way we enforce these things. Marco Rossi should have been given a game or two as well for what he did to Slavkovsky. And the problem with, with what you've just illustrated, Dave, is that I believe and I have believed it for a long, long time. And it goes all throughout hockey that I, I believe this. When you see there is a level of an injury on a player, that does impact the decision making on referees, making penalty calls. That does impact suspensions. They're going to argue with me and say, no, it doesn't. But I believe wholeheartedly it sort of depends how quickly the athlete sort of bounces back up and everyone just kind of goes, well, they weren't that injured. So we'll just negate the fact that, you know, this happened. The, the thing of the matter is we need to call it by the letter of the law. If it's a hit from behind, whether the person is injured or not, or going to be a long-term, short-term, or anything in between, we need to call it by the, mm -hmm. by the book and mm -hmm. the way that it is. And, and we do have reviews available to us that if we want to, you know, slow it down a little bit in the game to determine what it is we're going to do, well, then do that.
Yeah, that's that's really well put. That's really well stated, Brock. Brock, let's move over to the ongoing drama with the Brooklyn Nets in the NBA. (sighs) So it looks like they now have a coach in place, no longer interim, Jacques Vaughn. Yes, and I'm okay with this. I don't think they should have necessarily gone down the road of uh, the Boston Celtics route with what's going on there. I I did find it interesting that Jacques Vaughn made a a very – almost tongue-in-cheek quote uh, yesterday. He said, I wasn't the first choice. I wasn't even my wife's first choice. However, after 20 years of being married, we're we're still here, and this may be a good long-term decision for both of us. So very tongue-in-cheek of Mr. Jacques Vaughn yesterday and just thought it was kind of humorous. Uh, to bring forth here today for you. I, I, yeah, I, I think at the end of the day that the, it's going to be a mess in Brooklyn. It's going to continue to be a mess in Brooklyn. They're probably better off staying in-house than bringing in Emi Adoka and saying, oh, let's bring in someone with sexual misconduct uh, drama swirling around them as well. It's, it's, it's just it's too big a mess there. They're better off keeping everything in-house and just trying to get through this year and see where they're at. But yeah. uh, hey, good for Jock Vaughn. You know, he's been he's been working and grinding in the league as an, as, an, as an assistant for a long, long time. So this is a really big opportunity for him to try and maybe get this Brooklyn thing back on the road. But it's a, it's a messy one, Brock. Hey, Brock, let's not worry about Kyrie Irving today. I'm, I'm Kyrie'd out. So let the, with that, let's say goodbye to you and thank you for adjusting your schedule for us a little bit today. Not a problem at all. That's Brock Richardson. He is at the AMI Sports Desk. Alex Smythe is at the AMI Weather Desk. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Starting in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, it's rain and possible snow off and on today with wind gusts up to 60 kilometers per hour and a high of 6. In Charlottetown, PEI, it's mainly cloudy with showers off and on and wind gusts up to 70 kilometers per hour with a high of 11. In St. John, New Brunswick, it's a mix of sun and clouds and possible showers, wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour, and 14 is the high. In Quebec City, Quebec, showers off and on today with a high of 12. In Toronto, the weather heard it was Dave Brown's birthday, so it decided to uh, to cooperate, and it's sunny with a high of 18. In Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, showers and possible thunderstorms this morning and then cloudy and a chance of showers in the afternoon with a high of 17. Over to Brandon, Manitoba, it's periods of snow with wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour and a high of minus 7. In Regina, Saskatchewan, it is a mix of sun and clouds and a high of minus 14. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's sunny, a high of minus 9, but there is a wind chill that makes it minus 29. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's sunny and a high of minus 15. There is an extreme cold warning in effect with wind chills feeling like minus 35. In Whitehorse, Yukon, it's mainly cloudy with a chance of snow and wind gusts up to 50 kilometers per hour with a high of minus 8. In Kelowna, BC, it's cloudy but clearing up in the afternoon with minus 5 as the high. And finally in Vancouver, BC, it's mainly cloudy with a high of four. That was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Alex. Of course, we're dealing with a bit of a condensed show today, abbreviated. Tomorrow's show is also going to be a little bit different, but please make sure you tune in tomorrow morning on AMI for our live described coverage of CBC's Remembrance Day ceremony from the National War Memorial in Ottawa. It'll be hosted by Rosemary Barton and the CBC News special Remembrance Day 2022 begins November 11th at 10 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. So we'll be simulcasting that with live description. The first hour of our show will begin at 9 a.m. tomorrow morning. The second hour will also come your way via repeats later in the day as well as via podcast. But we'll be stepping away at 10 a.m. Eastern time and bringing in that live-described coverage of the Remembrance Day Ceremony 2022. Coming up next, Sean Priest of Double Tap Canada will share his experience with WhatsApp for Windows. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. There are a whole mess of ways to do group chats and message people. There's G chats and there's kick and there's slack. There's just good old text messaging. There's Facebook messenger slide into some DMS as well on the old Twitter machine. But what about WhatsApp? People like WhatsApp crosses a bunch of platforms and now it's available on windows. Sean Priest of Double Tap is here to talk about his experience playing around with that messaging software. Hey, good morning, Sean. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm well. I'm really intrigued. I like talking about messaging apps, especially ones I noticed. that... Uh, yeah, well, you just ruined my whole segment. You well, just I, talked I, about everything I was going to talk about. Well, Thank I, you. Okay, bye, Sean. Bye. Thanks, mate. <laughs> <laughs> so, Sean, take me back to late this summer when WhatsApp dropped on the Windows platform. How big a deal was that? Well, it's an interesting thing because WhatsApp has always been a smartphone app. I mean, you need a telephone number in order to use it. So it's always been the, the I mean, incredibly popular, right? Over 2 billion users of WhatsApp. And like you mentioned before about those other messaging services, there's nothing particularly um, unusual or unique about WhatsApp. You can send multimedia text messages, picture messages, voice calls, video calls. Um, yeah, it's everything that, that things like Skype and Zoom and that can do anyway. But it's just the popularity of WhatsApp is what really drives it. Two billion people mm-hmm. use it. So and, and the cross-platform nature of it. So it doesn't matter if you're iPhone or Android. Now, when it dropped onto Windows, it wasn't the first time. There was WhatsApp for the web as well. It's basically you could use WhatsApp on a website. Eh, not great when it came to accessibility. I wasn't a fan of it. Um, but when it dropped in the Microsoft uh, store and you could download it, that's the first time I really tried it out. And I thought, I'm going to give this up a proper try. Mm-hmm. And I've been surprised. That's why I wanted to talk about it today. It's not that it's particularly new. It's not, a, you know, as you said, it, it dropped a while ago. But the thing is that I've just been really excited by the accessibility of it from a mm-hmm. screen reader point mm-hmm. of view. It does work. It does work well. And the ability that I can send quick messages to people on the fly from my desktop in an accessible manner it's really cool, and I just really like it. I'm, I'm getting to be a bit of a WhatsApp evangelist, and I don't wow. like that. Wow. But I've got to say, it works really well. So, Sean, what do you like about it? What is it about it, especially in that desktop or on that laptop format, that makes the experience more comfortable for you? Oh, it's just so easy. I like anything where <laughs> the only reason I like my uh, desktop computer over my smartphone is because of the keyboard. Yeah, I hate typing yep. messages on there. Same, Sean. I'm the exact I, yes. same way, man. I love having access to a keyboard. Exactly, it makes the world of difference. <clears throat> and you know, on our WhatsApp group with me and Stephen, Double Tap WhatsApp group, we're sending audio message to each other all the time, which is great, right? You can just record your your voice message and send it off. But sometimes you don't want to listen through. Uh, you know, even a two-minute message, you just want a, the text message voiceover to read it out really fast to you. It, it, sometimes text is better. And I really like that ability just to quickly alt-tab into WhatsApp, get into my message, type what I want to type to someone, hit enter, and it's gone. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very much like the... I'm always a bit jealous of Mac users and their iMessage integration with uh, Mac OS because, you know, they can get their messages sent and Stephen's always sending me links to meetings and things that I can't access because they're in the text message on my phone. So I've got to copy it and email it to my Windows computer. It's ridiculous. But now, using this WhatsApp app, it does feel like, you know, that, that cross-platform nature of WhatsApp is incredible. Um, it, there's something just so... And the amount of people that are using... I mean, my mum's got WhatsApp. Mm-hmm. My mum doesn't mm-hmm. have Skype. My mum doesn't have Zoom. She's got WhatsApp on her phone. The, the, the penetration of how far it's reached into society is absolutely amazing, considering the name WhatsApp is absolutely ridiculous as well. <laughs> uh, Sean, I, I love that you mentioned the the Apple component of this, the Mac component of this, the iChat component, because for so long, that's been something that Apple users, they look down upon the rest of us about, right? They're oh, like, they do. They're like, oh, yeah. I have to see your blue bubble in our green bubble chat. What is this? <laughs> what, what, do you, what do you think the larger implications are here in terms of WhatsApp already being an established cross-platform messaging service, now popping into the windows, do you expect Apple may tear down the gates a little bit and let WhatsApp onto, onto like some of their operating systems as well, some of their computer systems? 
Well, uh, as I said, you can use WhatsApp for web on uh, on the Mac anyway. And I say it's not accessible. It's really clunky to use. It's not a great experience from a screen reader or a voiceover point of view on Mac OS. But there is that option there if you really need to. But I think the point is that um, previously, as you said, iMessage integration into even uh, he he, the, one of the main reasons he sticks with the Mac is because of the iMessage um, integration mm -hmm, there. Mm -hmm. He finds it incredibly useful, all the messages that he sends every day. Now, he started to switch over to WhatsApp and Windows because he prefers Windows for things like audio editing, for example. He finds it easier on Windows than he does on Mac. So the ability to have WhatsApp on there and still keep in contact, you know, we do send a million messages every day. So that ability to stay in contact now on Windows is actually, I do think it's a big deal. Hey, Sean, we're always grateful for you stopping by. Thank you for being an evangelical for us today. We appreciate it. You're welcome, brothers and sisters. Anytime. Thank you, Dave. <laughs> Preaching from the pulpit on Double Tap Daily <laughs> with Sean Priest. Of course, you can find that show on AMI-audio every day, noon Eastern time. And you can follow the Double Tap team on social media at Double Tap on Air. Speaking of AMI-audio programming, today at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time on The Pulse, Druda Gupta will chat with Leah Lewis about her one-woman show exploring her lived experience as an in-home dialysis patient. That's The Pulse, Thursdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio and then available on your favorite podcasting platform and also available as a YouTube podcast. Coming up next, we bring in Ramya and Nizreen. I had a really positive experience on the subway in toronto last night and i want to talk to nazreen and ramya about it this is now with dave brown on ami Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. I want to tell you a story from my own meandering personal experience. Last night, I was headed down to Cabbage Town to go watch the hockey game with a friend at my favorite sports bar, the Wing House on Parliament, 420 Parliament, Parliament of Girard. If you're in Toronto, you should go to the Wing House. They're the best. What's up, Shirlia? On my way there, I'm taking the subway. I'm on the TTC. And I sat down in a seat. And right as the doors close, I hear the sound of music. And I'm thinking to myself, that's, that's weird. Where's that music coming from? Turns out the guy right next to me, standing right next to me, pulled out a violin and started playing the most beautiful music you've ever heard. Just incredible. Like, gorgeous. Now, this is like 6.30pm on a weekday on the Toronto subway. And I was kind of expecting, oh, this is going to be bad vibes. People aren't going to like this. Total opposite. People started gathering around and applauding and clapping and cheering. He was playing violin and dancing as the train was going. It was amazing. It was a totally unexpected artistic experience, and it filled me with life and joy and vitality. So I wanted to ask Ramya and Nazreen about this because you guys are both artistically oriented. So good morning, Nazreen Abdelmajid. Good morning. And Happy hello. birthday. Thank you very much. And hello, Ramya Amuthan. Happy birthday. Hello. <laughs> Thank you. Very kind of you. So, Ramya, I'm going to start with you because you've been a Torontonian for a long time. You brave the TTC. Have you ever had an, unex an unexpected artistic experience? Yes. Um, similar to you, except it was an accordion. And it was in the old trains on the Bloor Danforth line. So you had to get out of a car to get in the next one, not just like you can walk through the entire train. Um, but this man had pulled out a uh, an accordion and was playing for us. I couldn't tell, though, like you were able to gauge the the response of people on the train. I couldn't tell, but I still had that initial reaction of oh god are people gonna like this because people usually don't um <laughs> but i loved it so by the end of it my friends and i were hooting and hollering and and clapping for this person who had uh filled us with a musical experience on the ttc and i still remember it this was years ago nazreen you used to take 77 buses to get from mississauga <laughs> to north york to get to the office <laughs> did you ever have an unexpected artistic experience on the subway so or many. elsewhere 
so many they're so talented when you when you go through the subway underground you see so many people singing and playing violin and the accordion accordion you experience it all but the most talented one that i've seen so far is the drummer on young and dundas yes i feel like he's always there i don't know if you guys if you guys noticed but he's always there he's always drumming he's so good i've seen people dance to it so it's really i it's crazy and the way people react makes a big difference so i reacted for sure I was mm-hmm. I stopped and stared. <laughs> I, well, I, I largely try to avoid Young and Dundas as much as possible, but I have also heard that drumming. Like that's incredible. I like I especially percussion, like street busking percussion. There's something about that that just puts a spring in your step as you're walking yes. by. Yes. New does it blonde, change your mood? No. It does. Sorry, maybe that yeah. was a question for Dave, but no, no, I love answer the question. Answer percussion. the question. Percussion on the streets, it just makes my day. And you guys are right. Like, you could be in all kinds of bad mood because it's TTC. Maybe you've commuted for too long, rush hour, whatever. But when I hear music on the TTC, it honestly makes my day. And uh, Nuit Blanche, I don't know if either of you have experienced it, like the all-night arts show around Toronto. Um, But there was one – this is not unexpected, but there was this one – band like I can't describe what they were but they were all hand drums and it was definitely afro and there was they were filling up the streets there was a ton of them and they were doing this in giant drum circle and I stayed there for like 45 minutes because it was the best I couldn't leave it was amazing when I was living in Ottawa the Juno Awards came to town and one of the things that the city did during the course of the few weeks that led up to the Junos was put public pianos install public pianos all over the city so you'd be walking through the Rideau Center you'd be walking through a town square and there would just be pianos available for the public to play it was just so cool when you would just see some random person sit down at the bench and just start making music happen. It, it It's one of these things that gives a city life. And it makes me think a lot yeah, about yeah. public art and public music and that kind of openness and like accessibility in the sense that like it's easy access to things. It really reminds you of how important music is. Guys, it's not always super positive though. I want to bring in Eliza Rocco who had uh, an artistic experience that maybe uh, bordered on the creepy side. I've had... I don't know why. I've had very bad luck with the TTC and artistic experiences. I've had I've had some good ones, mostly maybe not so good. I've had a bagpipe player right beside me. That's a little aggressive. At 8 a.m., which is maybe maybe a bit much. Um, I've had fitness people who are doing pull-ups on the bars. That's also aggressive. Um, yeah, don't love that. <laughs> and um, the top one that uh, I didn't love so much is that they didn't tell me they were doing it. I could tell that they were doing it, but someone decided to draw me on the TTC and sketch oh my me. Oh, no. Which they didn't, if they had asked me and said, hey, like, I would really love to sketch you. Of course, like, I'd have no problem with that. But they did not tell me. And they were, like, looking down at their notepad and looking back up at me. Like, it was very clear they were drawing me. And they never said anything about it. I eventually got off the TTC and they, not a word, not a word. Yeah, it's one thing in Titanic when Rose asks Jack to paint her like his French girls, but it's something different when you just start sketching people on the train. Yeah, if it was on a boat, it's different, but that was on a subway train. You know, it doesn't fly. Uh, Eliza, thank you for sharing that story. I hope it wasn't too traumatizing to share on the air. Nazarene, we always appreciate your positive vibes. Have an excellent day. Thank you, you too. And Ramya, before I say goodbye to you, what's coming up on Kelly and Company this afternoon at 2 p.m. Eastern Time? Okay, well, the Royal Winter Fair is in town, but only for one more weekend. Our gardener, Susan Kearney, uh, went to go check it out. She's going to debrief it. They turned 100 years old. This fair has been around for so long, and it's the biggest indoor agricultural fair in Canada. So excited to hear about how she enjoyed this year. Uh, also, the 35th edition of Wisa J. Jack Begins to Dance is on now through November 20th. So uh, you can check it out at Aki Studio. We're going to learn more about the showcase as well. And we have Accessible Gaming today. This is a once a month feature with Debbie Williams. And she's talking about the game of Clue, but not just the gener- uh, generic one, the Game of Thrones version. Of oh, game my of gosh. Clue. Oh, yeah. goodness gracious. That was the whole first season of Game of Thrones. Uh, Ramya, you said the magic words. Eliza is actually not going to be working tomorrow because she's going to that fair. Eliza, give us the elevator pitch for why you love that fair so much. 
I've been going to that fair since I was probably five years old. Obviously, miss it a couple times for the pandemic or other reasons, but it's just, it's so much fun. And it's like, it's been on for a hundred years. So it's really, really well done. They have massive pumpkins and massive mm -hmm. produce. They have the best thing of all, the dog show. The very, very talented dogs um, and other animals, of course. Um, <laughs> and they have a bunch of stands and vendors, and it's it's just so much fun. So I highly recommend it. Well, we're going to miss you tomorrow, Eliza, but uh, Grace Scofield stepping in. So I'm delighted that Grace will be uh, back in the mix for a day on the Now with Dave Brown family. Eliza, thank you for that. Rumya, thank you as well. Have a great show today, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thank you. That's Rumya Emerson, the co-host of Kelly and Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, powerlifter José Seguin from Sudbury, Ontario is set to represent Canada at the Special Olympic World Games in 2023. So we'll rack up that report with Karen McGee after the break. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's head down the St. Lawrence River and catch up with Karen McGee on the mighty shores in Morrisburg, Ontario. Hey, good morning, Karen. Happy birthday, Dave. Oh, thanks, Karen. Very kind of you. Very, very sweet. Uh, Karen, let's jump into Blind River, Ontario. That town is going to be getting some funding to build a more accessible community. Karen, that could mean a lot of different things. So what do they mean by accessible communities? So if people don't know, Blind River is about two hours west of Sudbury. It's on the shores of Lake Huron. And this project, okay, I love the name, Assigned Seats Are Not Our Style, colon, sit anywhere that makes you smile. I love it. <laughs> I don't know why I love that so much. So the town is going to be adding things to their waterfront. They're a big summer town. Um, they're going to add an accessible kayak launch, beach access mats, and inclusive picnic tables. Um, the kayak launch will be installed near the accessible parking spaces, which makes sense, but it's amazing how many places don't mm -hmm, think about little mm -hmm. things like that. Um, there's going to be a turnaround area where kayaks and people can be dropped off at the launch dock. So basically making it easier for people to enjoy basically blind, one of Blind River's best resources, their waterfront. Um, so it's approximately also 100 meters of mat at Peace Park and Lakeside Beach are going to be installed that are going to accommodate mobility device users, older adults. And families with strollers, I think sometimes we forget that when we make things accessible, people use wheelchairs. It also benefits parents with young children as well. Um, they're going to be able to access the beach much easier. This is going to be a great spot to make vacationing there and people who live there even better. Yeah, I could uh, see myself spending a little time by the lake in the summer. That sounds nice. That sounds lovely. Karen, where is the funding for this development coming from? So it costs $32,500, and it's coming from the Inclusive Community Grants Program. And I think I've talked about this grant before, either here or on uh, Cali and Ramia. Um, it provides funding to municipalities, Indigenous groups, and community organizations to help with infrastructure projects for people with disabilities and seniors that make them stay safe and engaged in their neighborhoods. Because especially after COVID, we don't want people being isolated anymore, get out and have fun. Um, it's a grant program from the Ontario government. And overall, they're putting in um, over $700,000 into 17 community grants like this. Mm -hmm. So it's a great program. And uh, maybe we'll have to make a trip to Blind, Blind River. Uh, well, let's go to Sudbury first, Karen, because you mentioned Blind River is not too far from Sudbury. Well, you've got a story about a power lifter, a weightlifter, Jose Seguin from Sudbury, who's going to be representing Canada at the Special Olympic World Games in 2023. So before we talk about Josie's training regiment, tell me a bit more about Jose. So this isn't her first visit to the Games. She also competed in 2019 in Dubai, where she brought home four golds and one silver. Josie lives with cerebral palsy, epilepsy, and she has vision or vision loss. She started as a competitive swimmer and moved to powerlifting. And one of the things I really liked about her story is she told CTV Sudbury she really encourages women to try non-traditional sports because you never know my, what might come of it. Um, we've talked before. I played hockey at a time when women didn't play hockey. We're talking back in the early 80s. And there is something really empowering about, you know, playing a sport, not traditionally women. And then now I get to sit and watch all these young girls in our community 
who play hockey in a way I never was able to. And mm. I, I just love it so much. So get out and try non-traditional sports because you never know. You might end up at the Olympics. I'm still waiting for my call from Team Canada <laughs> for hockey. The, the growth, I may have missed the call. The, the growth of a sport has to start somewhere. So having people join at a young age or try new things is a fundamental part of that grassroots growth. So let's come back to the way that uh, Jose is preparing for this. Karen, because certainly powerlifting, I can imagine, is a pretty intense training regiment. So between working full-time, we find a lot of athletes preparing for games like this. They do have to work full-time. Um, she trains as well. Um, she had an injury this summer that kept her away from training, but she's now kind of back at it. And she's had to go back to the basics of lifting to get herself back up to speed. So squatting, benching, deadlifting two to three times a week. Oh, yeah. Her sounds, coach sounds, and- like, sounds like my day-to-day, Karen. I was, listen, I'm going to get to a question. Her coach, Emily Armstrong, says they want to keep her progress going to increase her lifting, but don't want to burn her out. As we know, with high-level athletes, that can happen. Dave, how much can you deadlift? Ooh, deadlift? I haven't deadlifted in a while. When I was at my peak, I used to be able to put three plates on either side of a barbell. So quick math here. Barbell weighs 45. The plates were 45 each. So that's 120, 135. uh, Somewhere in like the mid-200s. So she can deadlift 298. Woo! I can't. I think I was only ever at 100 when I was doing CrossFit. Um, so you know her training, her training is really paying off, and hopefully she'll be successful when they when she goes over to the um, the uh, the Olympic Games in June. My gosh, two nine two ninety eight. That's <laughs> a monster number. Uh, Karen, what about bench press? What did what did you max out at bench pressing? I know I know that's not typically um, so, uh, an exercise for women. It's more of a more of a dude so, exercise. And that, that wasn't part of the CrossFit. The only really weight training I did when I did when I did CrossFit about five years ago, and unfortunately I have a bad rotator cuff that mm, I'm too lazy mm. to get surgery for and I loved it I loved it I loved the intensity I loved the coaching I loved the people I was going with um but I just my my poor shoulders just can't do it a couple years ago when I was on sick leave getting the operation on my on the 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 the, uh the nodes or the the tumors in my throat I got back into weightlifting because I had nothing but time on my hands so I got back onto that bench press and uh, I think I got maxed out at about two and a half plates on each side so again Pretty, uh, pretty reasonable number there. Again, in the mid, in the mid two hundreds, and there was nothing like that. Because I remember when I was first into bodybuilding and weightlifting when I was young, when I was eighteen, nineteen. Oh, to be young again. And I remember the first time I was able to put a plate on each side. I was like, "This is it. This is the max. Like, this is gonna be how you change your life." And then you flash forward seventeen years, and you realize, wow, the expression "grown man strength" actually is a thing. Like, you do just get stronger as you get older. And then it starts to go away. And then it starts to go away. When you get to my age, it starts to slowly go away. And things I used to be able to do, I'm like, oh, I can't do that anymore. Karen, I'm one. <laughs> I'm one year away from turning forty, so things are uh, things are looking very gloom in the very glummy and gloomy in, that, the, in the brown. There's <laughs> a lot of freedom with there's a lot of freedom with getting older too, Dave. Because quite frankly, you just don't care anymore. Ah, that's a good that's point. the best. When you get to that point, it's the best. Karen, let's end on a bit of a somber note. As mentioned, AMI is going to be having a live described uh, broadcast of the CBC Remembrance Day ceremony from the National War Memorial in Ottawa. But I know Remembrance Day is a day that means something significant to you as well. So which ceremony are you planning to attend and, and why that ceremony in particular? So I think we talk about this every year that I can fit it in. It's one of my favorite things to talk about. Um, the War of 1812 was fought where I'm sitting. Um, some major battles were fought. One significantly close called the Battle of Chrysler's Farm. And they have a monument there. And each Remembrance Day, they do um, a ceremony. And the date of the actual battle was November 11th, 1813. So we're actually getting a chance to recognize it on the day of the battle, which is really powerful for me. They light off War of 1812 cannons. Um, they have people from Aquasasne come and give prayers in the Mohawk language because the, the Mohawk Indians were very involved in um, in this battle. Um, it's a wonderful service. It's very small. Um, it's put on by the Friends of Chrysler's Farm, I believe it's called. And it's a wonderful way to remember um, a battle, which quite frankly, after watching the elections this week, I'm very grateful that we won that war against the United States. Um, and the, the battle is significant because it basically stopped the advancement on the St. Lawrence River. Mm. Um, the Americans were trying to capture the St. Lawrence River and this battle sort of ended it. They turned around. The Canadians were outnumbered and we won. 
as I smile, as I have to explain to my American friends all the time, we won. There's really something about the way in which Remembrance Day can manifest in different small communities around the country. Of course, again, there's that huge one in the middle of Ottawa at the National War Memorial. It's always powerful. It's always something that is worth attending once in your life if you have the opportunity. But there are a lot of smaller opportunities, whether they be individual legions putting on events or whether there be smaller uh, processions or parades in parts of town. When I used to live in Westboro in Ottawa, the legion there used to do a very, very small, very, very intimate ceremony where they would do a small procession down Richmond Road and then finish at one of the parks nearby before going back to the legion. I... I, I'm, I'm sure stuff like that existed when I was in Montreal, when I was in Quebec, but it really struck me when I moved to Ontario just how seriously people take Remembrance Day in this province. And, 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 I, and I assume by extension across the rest of the country. Yeah, so I mean, like Morseburg has theirs. My town of Morseburg has theirs at 11 or starts at 1030 at the Legion. Um in town, Iroquois just opened up a new cenotaph. That's a little town up the road. Mm. And they have theirs on the weekend. A lot of the smaller communities will do theirs on the weekend. Um, because not everybody has the day off work like they used to. I actually booked tomorrow off just to make sure I could go to this. I hope that doesn't sound weird, but I, I took a vacation day to be able to, to go to this just to make sure. No, it's worthwhile. Um, and a lot of them have their, a lot of the smaller communities will have their events on the weekends um, before Remembrance Day so that people can participate in those and still like watch the big one from Ottawa or, you know, do other things that they have to do during the week. So I appreciate mm-hmm. that as well. Karen, thank you for this. And uh, I hope I hope that it's a it's a nice reflection tomorrow as you're taking part in that event. Thanks, Dave. And I hope you have a great rest of your birthday. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. That's AMI content development specialist Karen McGee joining us from Morrisburg, Ontario. As mentioned, tomorrow we'll be cutting away from now with Dave Brown at 10 a.m. Eastern time for a simulcast with the CBC and live describing the Remembrance Day broadcast. But we will be here at 9 a.m. Eastern time tomorrow morning. So please join us then as we assemble the weekly news panel with Michelle and Joita. Until then, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.